We take a closer look inside the Big Ten with Tom Fernelli of CBSSports.com. Michigan is in action right now against Indiana, but a crushing loss last week for all of his bluster and impressive resume. Jim Harbaugh is now 1-4 and four against Ohio State and Michigan State. Why? Well, honestly, <laughs> there's... There's a there's a weird way you can look at Michigan or Harbaugh's record against the, his two rivals. I mean he's what he's 24 and seven I think overall since coming to Michigan and like you just said four of those losses have been to Michigan State Ohio State. But it's important to remember that two of those losses one involved a punter dropping a snap in an insane play on the final play of the game that gave Michigan State a win in Ann Arbor two years ago. Then last year's loss to Ohio State, JT Barrett got a friendly spot from the official out of fourth down that maybe was a little you know, too friendly to give Ohio State a first down, which set up the game-winning touchdown. So he's a couple plays away from being three and two, but I don't, you know, they're not playing woulda, coulda, shoulda right now. It's just, it, it, it is what it is at this point. I think last week the problem was, you know, they turned the ball over five times. It's, it's really hard to win a game when you're turning the ball over that often, and I don't think that there's really cause to be concerned Concerned going forward, I still think Jim Harbaugh is the right coach for Michigan, and he's a very good coach, and he's going to win plenty of games there in his tenure. It's just, it's it's still a very young team. They lost a lot of players from last year. They got off to a good start, but then they've lost their quarterback. They're on a backup quarterback. They're playing Michigan State team, which is greatly improved from last season, and for Michigan State, let's be honest. That's their Super Bowl every year. That's the game Michigan State has circled on the calendar, you know, from spring practice forward. So. It's it's not a it's not pretty optically it's bad right now Michigan's it's it's not what Michigan fans want from their team they don't want to be losing to Michigan State they thought hiring Harbaugh would put an end to the losses to Michigan State it just hasn't but I, I'm not concerned about it going forward I don't think there's any significant problem or flaw or anything that sticks out that would really cause me to worry I just think that you know sometimes crazy things happen in big games and you lose because of it. Michigan State's win wasn't pretty last week, but it was big. Has Mark D'Antonio stabilized the ship, or at least enough, until it could get there? I think so. I mean, I'm not. I don't have super high expectations for Michigan State this year, and I, I, I don't even after last week's win. I still feel like it, this is an eight and four, seven and five kind of team during the regular season. But compared to what we saw last year, when the Spartans went three and nine. And with the fact that there was still a lot of turnover from, you know, last year's team wasn't as good as the Michigan State teams we'd seen. And then a lot of the key players from that team left following the season. So there were even more question marks coming in this year. But I still think that this is a very positive sign going forward that the fact that Michigan State appears to have rebounded so quickly and that once, you know, they get a couple more recruiting classes back in there, and it's, they're kind of in, I don't want to call it a rebuild that there is a reload going on and it's not like the Alabama kind of reload where you just turn around and there's another five star right behind you. It's where, you know, you, you do need a year or two to really get things back to where they were. And I think that's kind of just where Michigan state is. And I think that if you just look at the signs, I think they're back to heading in the in the right direction. Maybe, you know, by next year, the year after that, this is a Spartans team that we're talking about competing for a division title again. Talk with Tom Fernelli of CBSSports.com as we take a closer look inside the Big Ten. And you can always follow Tom on Twitter, at Tom Fernelli. With all the talk about Trace McSorley and Saquon Barkley, has Penn State's defense been overlooked this year? Yes, very much. Um, it's It's... There's a couple of advanced statistics that, you know, they don't get thrown out very often. But if you look at them, like things like stop rate and just, you know, which is basically in layman's term, it's the percentage of times that the opponent's offense, you know, you stop them. How many times you force 
you force a punt, a turnover, or a turnover on downs. And Penn State's defense has the highest stop rate in the country, and it's really not getting as much attention because of what you just said. Trace McSorley, Saquon Barkley are so dynamic and do so many fun things that we look at the Penn State offense and we talk about Heisman's, and you don't really think about the fact that that defense is just shutting everybody down, and that defense is the reason why if Penn State keeps winning and Penn State gets to the Big Ten title game and Penn State wins the Big Ten title game or goes to the playoff, yes, Saquon Barkley and Trace McSorley will have plenty to do with it, but the defense is going to be the key reason behind any success that the Nittany Lions have. And as long as this defense keeps playing like it has been when it has to go up against Michigan and Ohio State later this year, this is a Penn State team that is definitely a threat to get to the playoff. Ohio State has won big since losing to Oklahoma. Have the Buckeyes ironed out the kinks or just taking advantage of inferior opponents? I think it's I think it's mostly the latter, unfortunately, for Ohio State. I mean, obviously, it's, you take the wins, and it's, it's much better to blow out those teams than it is to get into struggles with them. But, you know, you play Army, you play UNLV, you played Rutgers, and then you've got a Maryland team last week that was out back on its you know, third-string quarterback, and you destroyed them all, and that's always a good thing. It's just... I still, I'm still skeptical, or at least holding out judgment until I see Ohio State against another, you know, another Big Ten team. And maybe this week, you know, going on the road against Nebraska, Nebraska's not exactly lighting the world on fire this year, but it's still a much better team than what Ohio State's faced over the last month, and it's still a difficult environment to play to play in on the road. So. I think that t- tonight's game against Nebraska will give us a much better idea of exactly what Ohio State has worked out or not. I think it's still a very good team. It's still one of the best teams in the Big Ten, if not still the favorite to win the Big Ten. But I think tonight we'll get a much better idea of whether that offense has really figured things out or if it was just taking advantage of you know inferior opponents. Should the Buckeyes continue this trend, though, will this, sp- will this spell the end for Mike Riley? You know, I... I feel like with with the AD change going on, I, I I think Mike Riley's time is you know kind of just yeah. I think there's definitely a clock on Mike Riley at Nebraska. Even if even if Nebraska turns things around and still puts together a respectable season or gets the seven or eight wins, maybe Riley lasts another year. But I just feel like with the removal of Sean Eichhorst and just the fact that Nebraska is not it's still not winning enough for what it wanted. I mean, the reason it got rid of Bo Pelini was because nine win seasons weren't enough. So Seven-win seasons and eight-win seasons certainly aren't better than nine-win seasons. And with a new AD coming in who at some point is going to want to put his own you know, footprint on the football program or at least revitalize it, I can't help but feel like Mike Riley's time is, you know, he, he, he's, he's on a clock there. There's, there's only so much longer that he's going to be there, whether it's through next season or if it's just to the end of this year. Talking with Tom Fernelli of CBSSports.com, and you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. Wisconsin's had some great backs but did anyone think that Jonathan Taylor would be this good this soon? Uh, I didn't. I mean, I here's well, that's kind of misleading. I, I didn't think he would be bad or anything. So, you know, it's like you said with with Wisconsin, the way that they churn running backs through there, you're never surprised when Wisconsin has a good running back. It's just I think that Jonathan Taylor is, has shown a little more than I really expected. I figured he was just going to be kind of a system Wisconsin running back if that exists, where. You know, it's just the guy behind the huge offensive line churning out yards. But Taylor, I think, has shown a little bit more. He's been very impressive, and he's one of the reasons why Wisconsin is still such a you know huge threat in the Big Ten this year because Alex Hornibrook has played well at times at quarterback, and then he's played awful at other times. And there's just been such inconsistency at the quarterback spot that you need a running back like, like Jonathan Taylor to, you know, 
just give you something that you can rely on, and he's been that for Wisconsin. So I feel like with Taylor and that defense, which has been excellent again this year, this is a Wisconsin team that it's likely going to win the Big Ten West. You look around that division right now, and you don't see anybody that's a legitimate threat to the Badgers. You feel like they're going to coast to that the Big Ten title game in Indianapolis, and when they get there, they're good enough. If Alex Hornibrook plays well, they're good enough to beat anybody in that conference. So it's it's an interesting situation with the Badgers this year. We take a closer look at the Big 12 with Tom Fernelli of CBSSports.com. Tom, as good as the Iowa State win was last week, what is the Big 12's hopes right now for the playoff after the Sooners' loss? I think it's definitely damaged. I don't, you don't, I don't want to write off anybody in the Big 12 as a possible playoff contender. I mean, TCU still hasn't lost yet. Oklahoma, even with that loss, if it gets through and wins the Big 12, you know, I mean, like we saw on Friday night, Washington State lost by 34 on the road against Cal. We saw Clemson go down on the road against Syracuse. You know, there's, there's plenty of losses still to come this year. So by the time that we get to that, the first playoff rankings in a couple weeks, Oklahoma's loss might be old news. You know, everybody else may have lost more games by that too. So I don't think it really destroys the hopes of the Big 12, but it's just, I feel like with the reputation or at least the, the level of respect that the Big 12 has received in recent years where it's just kind of down and people don't give it that much credit or as much credit as they do the other Power 5 conferences. Obviously, Oklahoma losing that game to Iowa State doesn't really help that perception. So I think that hurts it. I think Oklahoma's, you know, if you go undefeated, there's no way Oklahoma would get left out. But with that loss, if there's a couple other teams sitting there looking for that fourth spot at the end of the year and they all have one loss, the fact that Oklahoma's was to Iowa State, I think, could be what ends up hurting it. But I think if you're a Sooners fan right now, you just, you know, you go, you try to beat Texas today, try to win the rest of your games, try to win the Big 12, and you just wait for other teams to lose and, you know, help people forget about you. Right now, though, that win for Iowa State in the past is the Cyclones in action against Kansas. But we've talked a lot about Iowa State coming close, and last week it finally happened. It was a surprising win, but the fact that they did win or even would have come close, how surprising was that? Oh, very. Really? <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, we, we have talked about, yeah, we, we, we've talked plenty about how we think both think Iowa State's heading in the right direction. But I didn't think, I didn't think Matt Campbell was going to have his team in that, you know, beating Oklahoma this year <laughs> at that stage and doing it in that fashion where, you know, as a 31-point underdog. And I think, I can't even remember when the last time Iowa State had beaten Oklahoma was. I just knew it was a very, very long time. And it's, I mean, the the job that Matt Campbell is doing there can't be overstated. He's getting it going quickly. I thought he was going to, it was going to take it a year three until we really started seeing dividends paying off for Iowa State. I figured, you know, last year was obviously you step into a rough situation. There's going to be a lot of rough losses. I figured this season was going to be, the, you see the incremental step forwards, even though the results aren't there. The next year you start seeing the Cyclones really start to build something special or at least, you know, get to bowl eligibility. And I, I feel like, you know, I don't, I don't want to say one win over Oklahoma has finished the job, but at just seeing the way that that team played in a game that big against a team that good, it's just it's a very positive sign going forward for Iowa State that, you know, maybe they get to a bowl game this year. Maybe they're more of a contender in the Big 12 than we wanted to believe they would going to be going into the season. So I, I think, you know, they're, I, I expect them to beat Kansas this morning. I, I just think that, that at that point, they're 4-2, and two and they only need two wins in their last six to get to a bowl game. It's not impossible at all. Oklahoma had the tough time with Baylor, and that obviously carried over. Was there something we overlooked or didn't want to believe about this team? 
it has problems in the secondary. I think that's the, that's the thing I've taken away from these last two games. While the defensive line is not getting nearly as much pressure as you would want, and I feel like Oklahoma's corners are really struggling in coverage, and it's, it was the case last week against Baylor. There were a lot of missed assignments and Baylor receivers running free in the, in the secondary, and we saw last week, you know, especially with Alan Lazard, the, 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 the Oklahoma's corners do not match up well with big receivers, and we saw that last week with Lazard, and Iowa State took advantage of it. And I think that's a significant problem for Oklahoma going forward because that's not some, you know it's something you could try to fix in the middle of the season, but it's not like there's an easy answer. If your corners are struggling in coverage, until you get a better pass rush, they're probably going to continue struggling in coverage for the rest of the season. And when you look around the rest of the Big Twelve at the teams they're going to be facing. You know, having a, having an iffy pass defense is not exactly ideal for a Big 12 team. So I think it's a major concern for Oklahoma going forward. Talking with Tom Fernelli of CBSSports.com as we take a closer look inside the Big 12. And you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You obviously mentioned a, a little while ago that a one-loss Oklahoma team might not be out of it just yet. But a two-loss team would certainly do that. And uh, how sweet would it be for Texas today if the Longhorns could deny Oklahoma not only a place in the playoff, but also in the Big 12 title game? I think yeah, very much so. <laughs> you know, if your Texas beating Oklahoma is always fun, if you could do it and destroy their title hopes and maybe even just their conference title hopes at the same time, even better, particularly if you're Tom Herman, you know, it's your first year at Texas. This is this would be that early signature win to get everybody loving you and feeling good about everything in the program. Although Charlie Strong had one of those too, and we saw how it ended up there. But still, I think that this, this is a Texas team that, you know, had a rough start to the year, obviously, with that loss to Maryland and looked kind of iffy. But ever since you know, making the change at quarterback these last few weeks, I feel like this is a Texas team that's kind of, you know, Tom Herman's kind of figured out who his players are, what they can do, what he wants them to do, and what he should ask them to do. The defense has, you know, the defense is solidified up. It's It's gotten a bit stingier. Offense is figuring things out, and they're starting all head in the right direction. And I think this is a Texas team that we're going to see over the rest of this season is a team not to be taken lightly in the Big 12. And I wouldn't be shocked at all if they do end up beating Oklahoma today because they do have the kind of offense that can exploit what we were just talking about with Oklahoma's secondary. So it's, it's going to be a very interesting game. And I think it's just it's, it's the first chapter between Herman and Lincoln Riley that I think is going to be a very fun segment of this rivalry to follow for the next however many years both are there. So I, I, I'm really looking forward to today's game. Couldn't agree with you more on all of it. Uh, speaking of Texas and the quarterback situation, do they have a quarterback controversy brewing? No, honestly, I think I think the quarterback situation there is settled. You know, I, 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 there was a lot of talk you know, going in, but Sam Ellinger, I think, has just come in and played to a point where why would you take him out unless he gets hurt? The way he's played since taking over the job from Bouchelle, I mean, he's giving you no reason to remove him. The offense looks better. The offense has been more efficient. It's been better with the ball, taking care of the ball, moving the ball down the field and putting points on the board. In my mind, there's no quarterback controversy. It's quarterback settled. It's, it's Ellinger from this point out until he gets hurt or just completely implodes. Finally, how has Kenny Hill reinvented himself? Is it maturity, a coach, anything else? I think it's just he's – I think it's a combination of things. You know, we we see it a lot with quarterbacks. You know, when they're when they're young and playing, they're a little more reckless. Then the longer they're in a system and the longer they're playing, the more they start to realize you know the, the responsibilities and what they can do, shouldn't do, and should do. And I think Kenny Hill's just kind of reached that point as a senior where he knows he'll see a throw that maybe last year or two years ago he thinks he can make, and he does try to make it. 
Whereas this year he sees that throw or he sees an opportunity. He says, you know what? No, I'm just going to keep this ball and maybe run or throw it away and just fight for another play. And I think that's been a big thing for TCU because that defense, especially when you have that kind of defense, you don't need to take unnecessary risks because it's going to keep you in the games. You have an explosive offense. You can wait to the next play if it's not there right now. And you could score on the next play from anywhere on that field. So don't take any stupid chances. And I think that's been drilled into Kenny Hill, and I think he's listening this year, and I think TCU's paying the dividends for it. Tommy, thank you as always. Enjoy the day. I will. Thank you for having me, sir.